My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Thank you guys so much. Uh, with those Connect cards, if you guys fill those out and take them to the table in the back after service, we've got some gifts for you. We've got a coffee cup, a tote bag, all that good kind of stuff. So um, that will be available in the back. All right, guys, welcome. It is week three of our series, Road to the Resurrection. We are looking at several different roads that Jesus took in his life that lead up to the resurrection. And honestly, as we always say, actually his entire life was a road to the resurrection. And that's, that's what his purpose of coming uh, was to die and was to resurrect again. And uh, we've been looking at several different kind of roads. We've been getting, we were a little creative with how we wanted to do this series. The first road uh, that we looked at was the road that Jesus took into the wilderness to be tempted. And uh, we looked at what that meant as far as Jesus's humanity is concerned. And if you want to listen to that sermon, you can uh, on our podcast or on YouTube. Um, and then the next week, last week, uh, we looked at Jesus on the road up to the up the mountain to the transfiguration, where the transfiguration took place. What's the importance of the transfiguration? Uh, you know, God was, or Jesus was revealed as fully God there, but there was a lot, there were a lot of other things that, uh, that, that the transfiguration meant. So if you want to go back and listen to that, you can as well. But today uh, we are going to look at a different road that Jesus took. And uh, as I was trying to figure out um, what the different sermons were going to be uh, in this series, I really, because I knew next week is easy, right? Next week is Palm Sunday. So Jesus took a road into Jerusalem. Like that's like a give me, here you go, like take that one. So that's what's going to be next Sunday. Uh, And then obviously on Good Friday, we're going to be talking about Jesus's road to the cross. And then uh, on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the actual resurrection. Bet you didn't see that coming. So uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, but I was like, okay, I really want to find a road. And I called Trevor and I was like, hey, all right, I'm putting this together. Like, this is what's going on. I want to find a road that Jesus took. It'd be awesome if it was an actual road. But if we need to like be creative and say it's kind of like a road, we can do that also. But I would love it if it was more like a road that kind of sums up Jesus's like life on earth, like what he came to say, what he came to do, like what, what would be a good road? And, uh, and Trevor was like, well, uh, I can think of like the, the, the woman at the well, uh, that was actually something that, uh, really sums up some things. And I said, and he took a road to get there. I was like, that's the Lord right there. Like that, that is going to be what it is because he took a road through Samaria. And we're going to talk about that in a second uh, to meet the Samaritan woman at the well. So that's where we're going to be today. If you guys want to open your Bibles to John chapter four, verse three, that's where we're going to start. John chapter four, verses three through 42 is where we're going to be today. We're not going to read all of those scriptures, but that's where we're going to camp out. I am so excited about, uh, you know, all the the studying that I did for this. And again, I just hope that I'm able to uh, share with you guys in a way that's meaningful and uh, that is true to the scriptures themselves. 
Um, this is going to be, uh, we're going to read in just a minute uh, the scripture, and, uh, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Uh, so if you want to, uh, if, you, if you have to follow along word for word, then pull up the New Living Translation. Uh, but if you like using a different translation to kind of coincide and go along with to get a better idea, I say do that also, all right? So this is going to be from the New Living Translation. So let's look at this. We're going to look at uh, verse 3 and 4 right here uh, off the bat. So it says this, so he, being Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go through Samaria on the way. So here, here's Jesus in Judea, which is, uh, I'm going to pull up this map real quick. Go ahead and pull that map up. You guys can see you've got on the left-hand side, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee up top, okay? So you see Judea. That's where Jesus is, right then. He's got to get up to Galilee. Well, what you see right there in the middle uh, is Samaria, all right? Now, if you notice, you've got the Dead Sea on the right-hand side, but you have this little bit of land right in between uh, where people can go over into Perea and then up through Decapolis and then over to Galilee, all right? But Jesus, in this scripture, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through that. Now, we need to talk about a little bit of history for a moment uh, on the Samaritans. So here's a little history. The Jews and the Samaritans have a long-standing history of hatred towards one another. All right. There is a massive feud that is going on and it's happened for over 500 years. And they share that border right there. Judea, Samaria, Galilee, Galilee and Judea. They did not like the Samaritans. All right. A huge, huge uh, feud going on. Have you guys ever heard of the Montagues, right? Who was, who was their, who was their opponent? Capulets, good job. I'm testing your skills right now. Uh, let's go, let's go uh, to the Hatfields. Who was theirs? McCoys. Ooh, I'm impressed right now with what's going on in the room. Uh, okay, what about the Sharks? The Jets. Oh, man, there's, uh, there's, yep, there's my performers right there. Um, the Jets. Uh, what about the Yankees? The Mets. Uh, is it, is it the Mets? It's it's probably for New York, yeah. But I would say the bigger one, the longer standing one is definitely against the Red Sox. Now just imagine those things multiplied by a whole, whole lot. You've got 500 years worth of building hatred towards one another. And this is pretty much what's going on. Now, you're asking yourself why there's so much hatred there. Well, it all centers around religion. That's what it all centers around. And basically, what happened was, a long time ago, uh, if you guys remember back in the time of the prophets, and we talked about this a little bit whenever we were going through Isaiah, uh, but the kingdom, or Israel was split up into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and the southern. Go ahead. Do you say that with confidence? Yeah. Northern and the southern kingdom. And, uh, and the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. Now, what happened was, if you guys remember, the prophets came in, they were like, look, you guys need to like shape up, right? Because thing, bad things are going to happen. Well, Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah was the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was like, we're not going to listen. And so what happens is Assyria takes power and takes control over the northern kingdom of Israel and takes all of the Israelites, scatters them to all these regions outside 
all right? All of these pagan regions that are outside and then moves some of those pagan regions into the area of Israel. There are some, there are some Israelites that are still there. There are some Jews that are still there. But what happens is they're in power for a really, really long time. And what they also brought in with them was their pagan gods. And so now in this region, this northern region, you have some Jews that are still there, but now you have an even greater presence of these people who brought these outside gods, and they're still going to worship these outside gods. So now it's looking terrible in Israel. Well, there's a problem. They ended up having, uh, and this is a totally random fact, but in, the, in, the nor in, in that area, they ended up having a really bad lion problem. Like, I'm not saying like lying in a Southern accent. I'm saying like raw lions, okay? Like they had a massive lion problem. And so this is so interesting. So they decided, okay, they tried everything. They were praying to their gods. They were like, please, like with the lions, this has to stop, right? Well, so they decide it's not working. So they decide, okay, let's, I'll bet the problem is, is that we're in a land where there was a God for a really, really long time. So let's pay homage to that God who was the God of this land and maybe the lion problem will go away. So they went and they asked a, uh, they asked a priest to come back and from where they shipped him off to. They asked him to come back and teach them about their God so that they can maybe worship that God too, and maybe their lion problem would go away. So what happens now is that you bring this priest in and all, he, and all they ask and all he teaches is, is the Torah. He teaches the first five, the books of Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So he's gonna teach just those things. So now you have this mixture of religion going on in this region. You've got some Jews who are still following God in some sort of way, but who've also been majorly influenced by these pagans that have come in and their gods. And now, they, now you've got these pagans who were like, okay, well, we're also going to listen to the, the priest and he's going to teach us how to worship. So they're trying to follow the law. They're also trying to uh, worship other gods. And you have this major mix-up of what's going on and honestly, just a lot of confusion. Well, that ends up being what Samaria is all about. And now, whenever you fast forward many, many years, all of a sudden, uh, Persia is like, hey, we're going to go ahead and return some of these people back who, who were taken out of this land. So now you have all of these Jews who are coming back, but now you had all these Jews who were still following God. They also were, they learned their lesson. They're like, man, we're not going to do that again. Uh, remember what the prophets said. And so their scriptures were not only the first five books of the Bible, but also the prophets as well. Well, in Samaria, it was only the first five books of the Bible. So immediately you have a clash. And you have the Jews who are going, no, like it's not other gods and the first five books. It's, it's no other gods and the law and the prophets. And, Samar and the Sumerians are like, no, that's not true. And in fact, it got so bad that whenever they were coming back and they were trying to rebuild the temple, if you guys remember in Jerusalem that had been destroyed, well, the Samaritans were like, we're not going to help. We're not going to go and we're not going to help because we don't believe that the temple should actually be in Jerusalem. We believe that the temple should be where Abraham hinted it to be, which is on, on Mount Gerizim, which is right there in Samaria. And so they're like, so we're going to build our own temple. So they built their own temple and the Jews are like, that is not okay. So that, that began this major feud between them. And, and it was so bad 
that the Samaritans, they didn't want to have anything to do with the Jews. The Jews, they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. In fact, whenever somebody uh, like physically broke the law, not just the law of God, but like broke the law and were like trying to like flee from justice being served, they would go to Samaria and Samaria would be like, yeah, come on in. We'll take you. We'll, we'll be a place of refuge for you. And the Jews are like, that's not okay. And, and you had all of these crazy things that were going on. They're like, no, this is the scripture. No, this is the scripture. No, this is where you worship. No, this is where you worship. And 500 years of just building and building and building. I don't know about you guys. How many of you guys grew up with siblings? Anybody grew up with siblings? Right. Um, was there a moment in the life of you and your sibling where just at odds with one another? Did that? Yeah. Like for sure that happens. Like I love my children, but they're at the place right now where all they want to do is just argue and get on each other's nerves. Like they know now how to get on one another's nerves. And so they will just do that. And there was a moment in my life where I would definitely do that with my brother. We would just, and you know what happens? And I look at my kids and I'm like, if you guys would just love each other. But the problem is, is that you're annoying him, you're annoying her. So now all you guys do is feud all the time and there's no good things that are going on. And praise God, my brother and I grew out of that and we became friends. I'm praying that for my kids as well, that they'll just become friends. But you guys know how like this animosity can just grow and it can just grow and it can just grow. Well, this is over 500 years worth of just growing and they hate each other. And this is so important into understanding what happens in this story because the Jews would not associate with the Samaritans. The Samaritans would not associate with the Jews. And so it's very important as we talk about what's about to happen. Oh, and another thing, and I forgot to even say this, is that the Pharisees would actually pray to God that the Samaritans would not be resurrected. It was that bad. Like basically they were saying we would rather them burn in hell. Like that's what we feel about the Samaritans. Like this is how bad things got. They used the name Samaritan as an insult for one another. Um, like if, if you were, you know, if something's going on between you and your Jewish friend and you got called a Samaritan, no, you didn't. Like that, that, that's not okay, right? But they hated each other. So I want to bring attention back to the word had to. You can go back to the scripture real quick. He left Judea, Jesus, and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. No, he didn't. Like, we just looked at that. We just looked at the map, and a very common route was to go around Samaria for the Jews. They, whenever they had to travel back and forth, they would just go around, and he didn't have to as far as geographically, and technically, as a good Jew, he shouldn't have Jesus shouldn't have gone through Samaria. He could have gone a different route that bypassed, but most, as most did. But so why does he say he had to? Why? And if you're, if you're a note taker, you can put this down. Because the will of the master is of greater importance than the will of the masses. The will of the master is of greater importance than the will of the masses. Everyone else was saying, Jesus, even the disciples, we're not going through Samaria, are we? Like, we shouldn't. Everybody else would say, you better not, because there's a chance of becoming unclean if you do, and plus we don't associate with them, right? But the will of the master is of greater importance than the will of the masses. Whenever we said uh, that we were moving to New York, 
um, from where we were, uh, people told us that we were crazy. We were living in Louisiana at the time. We'd been there for like 10 years. And we're like, we're going to New York. And people were like, you're nuts. Like, you guys are absolutely crazy. Um, so some told us to stay as far away from New York as we could. Like, people actually said that. They were like, you need to stay as far away. And, and I, I promise you, there was a lady that she goes, like, we were talking to our church. And we were like, yeah, this is going to be what we're going to do. And we were in this kind of meeting. And, and, uh, and we're like, we're going to go plant a church in New York. And one of the lady goes, what about the kids? What about your kids? And I just said, we're going to bring them. Like, that's what we're going to do. And because they were just like, why would you do that? Like, like, I know so many New Yorkers who are pregnant that are like, we are going to leave the city because this is nowhere to raise a child. Like, that's kind of what people think about the city. And to the south, New York is basically Samaria. It's actually pretty relatable here. That's kind of what they would say. And to be honest, there are some similarities there really are. Um, and it would be easier to plant a church and pastor a church uh, somewhere else. Um, we didn't have to move to New York, but guess what? We had to move to New York. <laughs> we didn't have to, we, we, but we had to. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about. We don't have to stay here, but we have to. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about, because we're all faced with choices in life all the time. And the masses, the masses will tell you to choose what seems right to you, to choose the option that makes the most sense financially as well, that makes you most comfortable. Why put yourself through something you don't have to put yourself through? That's the mindset of the world. Why would you do that, right? And there are always going to be other choices, but the wisest choice is always where the master is leading you, not where the masses are leading you. It's where God is leading you. And I don't know, it's, it's, I, love, I love church because we're all at different places in our lives. And I'm sure that you have something that's going on in your life where you're like, Lord, I, need, I feel like you're asking me to do this, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And a lot of people are telling me that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. He just had to, because that's where God was telling him to go. And in verse five, it continues on, it says this. So eventually he came to Samaritan, or to, to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, P.S., by the way, that well is still there. It's inside of a Greek Orthodox church now. It was built around that well. So if you want to go there, you can. Bucket list. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So that's important. It's the middle of the day that he's there at that well. And also, what does that show us again? His humanity. It shows us again his human side. Like God in the flesh is tired. He's weary. He's hungry. Verse 7 Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water in the middle of the day. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was what? Surprised. 
This woman was surprised. Why? For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So this woman is completely caught off guard. First of all, she's surprised that Jesus, a Jew, is talking to a Samaritan, right? Shows us how bad things are. Secondly, she is surprised that he is talking to her, a woman. She didn't just say a Samaritan. She said, why are you, a Jew, talking to a Samaritan woman? Woman, It was considered inappropriate for a Jewish man to associate or to speak to any woman outside of the Jewish faith, let alone a Samaritan woman. But not only is she a Samaritan and a woman, we are about to find out that she is a person who does not have a very good reputation, even among the people of her own uh, country, her own nation. We find out in a few verses that she is actually been married five times and also living with someone who isn't her husband in the moment. So the reason that she's probably hanging out at noon at the well, which by the way, um, in the dead of the heat, like you guys know in the summertime, like don't plan anything in the middle of the day. Why? It's too hot. Like if you got to do some stuff, you're going to do it in the morning right? Or you're going to do it in the evening whenever things are cooler. That's what happened back then. Whenever you went to the well, the women either came before early or they came later in the day so that it wasn't so hot. This woman knew that no one was going to be at the well and actually says that was something she always did, was always went to the well in the middle of the day. Why? Because she didn't want to talk to anyone. No one probably wanted to talk to her and she didn't want to talk to anybody else because she didn't have that good of a reputation uh, where she was from. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman and she is blatantly living in sin. And most Jews, especially rabbis, wouldn't touch her with a 10-foot pole for reputation and also for fear of being deemed unclean. Yet Jesus spoke directly to her. Jesus spoke directly to her. And what does that tell us? Who's in the wrong? Who, who's the one in sin? Is it Jesus or is it the Jews who refuse to associate with the Samaritans? Well, we know Jesus never sinned. So it's got to be the Jews who were avoiding them at all cost. Jesus, another reason that he came was to fix what was religiously broken. And this is something that was religiously broken. What was going on between the Samaritans and the Jews? The Jews thought they were pleasing God by avoiding the Samaritans because of who they were. It turns out they were missing everything. They were missing the point of everything. And, and here's the thing. We don't like to admit it, but sometimes Christians act more like the religious Jews than they do Jesus when it comes to how they treat people who don't have the same views, morals, or values today. I see it happen all the time. They treat them more like the Jews treated the Samaritans. And do you know what's happening in return? You're getting treated like the Samaritans were treating the Jews. And all you're doing is building up this feud. That's what's going on. And doesn't that describe what's happening between Christianity and the world around us today? Doesn't it feel like there's more of a feud going on 
Yeah, it does. Doesn't it feel like one side just wants to argue with the other and the other just wants to argue with the other and, and everything is just chaotic and nothing can be described as love? That seems to be what's going on around us. And sure, they deny that God is the one true God, the world around us. Sure, they do. And it leads to different values and morals. Of course it does. That's what happens. Morals that, that we don't agree with, and it causes differences. I'm not saying there won't be differences. There are going to be differences. That's just the life of it. There are going to be major, major differences, but we shouldn't be the ones causing division. We should not, Christians, we should not be the ones causing division. A lot of the time, I see Christians who just ostracize themselves from those types of people, right? Those, I like, I, it's so funny because I will talk to people from back in Louisiana, like I was there not long ago and I was, I was talking at um, a church there and people would come up to me and I would say, yeah, you need to come see us sometime. And they're like, I would never step foot in that city. And it wasn't just like, I don't like walking, you know? They were like, I refuse to even be around those people. That was their attitude. And, and actually that happens quite, quite a bit, unfortunately. Um, I see Christians who call people who, who are just living in the world names. They trash talk them. They talk about how wrong they are and they treat them like they'd rather see them burn in hell. Like they're not praying, God, don't let these people be resurrected, but they sure are acting like that. Like they are 100% acting like that and praying the same thing. But do you know what Jesus do, if he, what he would do if he were here, which he should be, by the way, through us? This scripture just showed us. He's not condoning sin, which we'll get to in a minute, but he's not treating another human being like they are an enemy or an outcast or a leper just because they don't see things the same way that he sees things. And of course they don't, but neither did you before you came to know Christ, right? Neither did we. So what did Jesus's mindset and actions do? It caught this woman totally off guard. He did that a lot. And you and I need to help break the stereotypes that people have about Christianity. We need to catch people off guard. Whenever we're walking around in the world today, we should cause people to go, are you sure you want to be talking to me? I'm this. Like I, I was talking the other day to someone and, uh, and this, is, this is what they said to me. I'm telling you guys, like we have, we are stereotyped as Christians because Christians do a really poor job of showing love to other people. And, uh, and, I, and I was talking to this person and I was like, yeah, you should come to church with me sometime. And they said, well, what you don't know about me is I'm gay. And I was like, I mean, I'm straight. You wanna come to church with me? Like, I was like, you know, like, I mean, I don't know what that has to do with really anything, but you know why they said that? Because of the stereotype that Christians have. They were like, we've been ostracized. We've been, you know, um, talked bad about. Like I've not, like a lot of people haven't met a Christian who actually isn't trying to be divisive about things. They just meet other Christians who want to make them think the same way they do. That's what they wanna do. 
And all that's going to do is cause division. We need to catch people off guard. Whenever we do our um, Easter egg hunt in the park, people are blown away that it's a church that it's actually putting this thing on. Like they cannot understand, like because, and I actually had a lady come to me one time and she was like, all this is free? I was like, yeah. She's like, the hot dogs are free. Yep. I mean, we live in New York too. Everybody's skeptical of all this kind of stuff. But like, yeah, it's all free. Well, what about the chips? Take them. Like they're free. Everything is free. Like the egg hunt, do we need to pay you for anything? No, it's all free. Like, I don't know what part of free, like it's not making sense here, but everything is free. And the person told me straight up, they were like, well, I'm not used to a church giving things. I'm used to a church asking for things. And I was like, yep, well, that's what we're doing out here. Like, that's what we're doing is we are trying to catch people off guard like Jesus caught people off guard. A response of grace catches people off guard. Remember that. A response of love catches people off guard. A response of genuine care and concern catches people off guard. This is what Jesus did. This is what Christians, which by the way means little Christs, should do as well. Verse 10, Jesus replied. She's like, why are you talking to me? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now living water, what's important about this is it's a common reference in the Old Testament. God was often referred to as living water and the prophecy of the coming Messiah was also referenced as living water, but she only held to the first five books of the Bible. So she didn't understand what this living water meant. And it shows uh, in her response, verse 11, she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She took it very literally. You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. It seems like Jesus is not just talking about water. Did you guys catch on to that? Like something else is going on here. He's not just talking about water. That's because he is. Listen, we live in, in an incredibly thirsty world. And yes, I realize what I just said, and yes, that applies too, all right? Get out of your 21st century lego and look at what Jesus is saying for just a moment, all right? Everyone in the world, everyone in the world aches for something that's missing in their life. Everyone. A void that they feel deep down and are desperately trying to fill. Something that continually nags at them when the chaos of their life slows down for a second and they're just sitting with their thoughts. Something that just continually nags. And I remember uh, when I was a kid, how many of you guys used to play outside? Anybody? Yeah. We played outside every day, all day, until the sun went down and then we begged to even play a little bit longer 
than that. But what happens whenever you're playing so hard as a kid? You end up getting thirsty, right? You're like, oh my goodness, like I just need a little bit of water. Now, where I was from, when I was a little kid, I lived in uh, Oklahoma, right? And when I was a kid, we had this little thing called water hose that came out the side of the house, all right? And that's what we drank out of. We didn't want to go inside. That cost too much time. Like we just want to like get our drink of water and then go back to doing whatever we were doing, right? So we would drink out of the water hose. Here's the awesome thing about a water hose in the summertime. Gross, all right? Like if you've, how many of you guys have ever drank out of a water hose? Anybody? Okay, <laughs> my people. All right, the thing is, is that whenever you first turn that thing on, you gotta let it go for a second, right? Cause it's scalding right out of the hose. And then what happens? It gets all cold and refreshing. No, it doesn't, it's nasty. It's lukewarm is what it is. And you try to take a drink and you're like, this isn't doing exactly what I hoped it was. Plus it tastes like water hose. <laughs> this is not really quenching my thirst, but it'll do, right? It'll do. But do you remember, and I know you know the feeling whenever you are so incredibly thirsty, you're like, I, and, and instead of the water hose, you just get an ice cold Gatorade or you get an ice cold glass of water. Do you, that hits different. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, that just hits a lot different. But doesn't that represent our life so well? And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate. Every person has this deep down thirst inside of them, but are constantly going to the water hose to try and quench that thirst. We drink from, let's talk about it for a moment. We drink from relationships. We got a void, let's fill it. We drink from relationships, hoping that it'll quench it. We drink from hobbies, hoping that it'll be quenched. We drink from possessions. Let me just get more and more stuff. We drink from joining charity work. Maybe this'll quench that. We drink from different causes. We drink from our jobs. Maybe it's my job that isn't giving me satisfaction, that isn't filling me up, that isn't quenching that thirst. We drink from friendships. We drink from a change in scenery. If I could only get out of New York, everything would be better. We drink from alcohol. We drink from drugs. We drink from social media. The list goes on and on. There are so many different things that we try to drink from and the world is trying to drink from. But the problem is no one is ever truly satisfied at the end of the day. No one. Whenever the, again, whenever the chaos goes away, whenever the highs go away and you're laying there and you're just with your thoughts, there's always a nagging feeling. I know it because I've had it. And that's because none of those things that we just mentioned or anything that you can think of will reconcile anyone to God. None of those things will. And you're like, what? Listen, that's the only thing that will quench it is being reconciled to God. And most people don't even know that's what they need. Look at what Jesus said again. He said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Anyone who chases those things that we just talked about, guess what? They're going to become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them. What? Giving them eternal life. 
eternal life. He just gave us the key. Jesus is saying, it's not until we know that our eternal existence is secure that our thirst is actually quenched. Because what else is there to fear? What else is there to fill? Nothing. There's nothing left to fill. So it's then that we have the ultimate of life's questions answered. It's then that we have ultimate purpose in existing. But here's the thing. No one will see their need for a savior and to call upon that savior unless they're convinced of their need for a savior and that Jesus is that savior. I want to see where Jesus goes next. And he goes very purposefully next. He says, go, this is what he tells her. He wants to show her her need for a savior. He says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And she says, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. He knew for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Well, that's a bit awkward. So she tries to change the subject real quick, which is what we often want to do whenever we're confronted with our own sin. We want to change the subject. She says this, sir, the woman said, uh, you must be a prophet. So tell me, prophet. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus flips it and he replies this. He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and indeed is here now when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. The father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. I think she said this because what he just said sounded suspiciously like something the Messiah would say. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. She's looking at him in the face. And I love Jesus' Jesus's reply to her diversion. He said, I'm not talking about religion. You're talking about religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a true heart for God, a true desire for God. He's saying, look at where religion has gotten you. Look at where it has gotten the Jews. Do you really think it's about where you worship? Is that really what this is all about? That this is what pleases God? of all, you know, all the, all the made up laws that has led to feuding in a heart that is so removed from God that it's unrecognizable. He's like, is this really what you think it's all about? No, it's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And what does he mean by that? Let's talk about what it doesn't mean. To not worship in spirit is this, to go to church because you have to. To go, and I'm not talking about the have to because the inside of you is like, I have to go. I'm talking about the part of you that goes, I really don't want to go today, but I'm going to because I know then God's going to be pleased with me. It's just all part of the things that I have to do. That is worshiping not in spirit. It's trying to do the right thing because you think you have to. God's going to be pleased with me if I do the right thing. So I better do this, 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 and this, right? It's, 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 bringing in a priest from the outside because you think the lions will go away. I mean, we all have those things in our lives that we're like, oh my goodness, this thing is not going right in my life. So maybe if I start following the Bible and stuff, then things will start getting right. 
That's just religion. That's all that is. To worship by the Spirit means that you're truly, that you're obeying God from a desire and a will that wants to. Like a deep down want to inside. You're convinced in your innermost being that God is worthy. That's what true worship in spirit is. And where does it come from? The Holy Spirit. This is true faith. What does it mean to worship in truth? It says worship in spirit and in truth. It means to worship God for who he actually is and not for who you or anyone else has made him up to be. That's another thing, to worship God for who he is, who he has revealed himself to be in his word. It's to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We talked about a few weeks ago, it's not to be conformed to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Whenever we were going through Romans, it's to be a living sacrifice. It's not about what mountain you worship on. It's not about what church or denomination you belong to. None of those things saved anyone. None of those things helped anyone. It was all the heart. It was all about truth. And the woman says, well, sir, I hear you, but the Messiah, when he comes, he'll explain it. And he said, I just did. I just did. And she was floored. She couldn't believe it. And look at what she did next. It's the same thing we all do whenever we come into an encounter with Jesus for the first time. It says this, I mean, a true, real, repenting experience. 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. This is completely different from the woman who went to be by herself at that well. She now went to the people. She didn't avoid the people. She went to the people. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Look, we're going to have this, um, when we do these, you know, different outreach things all the time. And we can have conversations with people and we can tell them about what Jesus has done in our own lives. But hopefully, and what we want to happen is that they'll want to then go see it for themselves. Because we can share our testimonies. We can be just like this woman and we can go and we can be at the Easter egg hunt and we can be talking to people and they may ask us who we are and what we're about and maybe the conversation will lead that direction, which would be great. And then we can say, this is what God has done in my life. This is, this is how God saved me. This is what Christ has done for me, and this is all in scripture, and I would invite you to, to look into scripture. And in fact, if you wanna to go to coffee and look at some of this stuff, I'll do it with you. I'll, I'll take you there, I will show you. I will bring you to where I was, to where I found Christ, and I will show you. That's something that every single one of us can do and should be doing. And here's the, here's, here's the last thing that I'm gonna say, which I thought was, was pretty cool whenever I was reading through this and it just kind of hit me. I'm sure that when Jesus drugged the disciples through Samaria, they didn't think there would be much ministering that they would do there. I'm sure of it. 
for sure not salvation. They're like, none of these Samaritans are coming to Jesus. Like, it's just not going to happen. But man, were they wrong. Jesus told them the harvest is plentiful. And listen, I just want to encourage you guys with this. I, love, I, I know that we live in a, in a very tough city. We do. We live in, in, I would even say, sometimes a hostile city towards Christianity, towards the things of God, um, especially if we were to uh, talk about the things that we actually believe. Now, some people won't be, but a lot of people who I've talked to get very offended whenever we talk about Christ, whenever we talk about the things of God, whenever we talk about scripture. And I understand that. But listen, don't ever think that New York is too far past saving. Don't ever think that. Don't ever think that. It may be hard soil, but I believe just like Samaria that the harvest is plentiful. I really truly believe that. And you never know if who you are talking to is gonna be coming to the well that day. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.